last night going into watching it, I didn't know that she did that in the movie. I thought the only thing that I knew from the truth or dare scene was when she says that Sean was the love of her life. Uh-huh. That's the only thing that I had. I don't know why. This that's is what the, the other like knew. eight-year-old boys were talking about in your. <laughs> she says Sean without hesitation. We were... She says Sean Penn is the love of her life. It's gonna blow your <laughs> mind, no, she Ricky. Didn't. No, 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 she didn't. No. Oh my god. No, I mean, yeah, I heard about it a million. I had heard about it a million times, you know. But it is—it's funny to watch it because it's—it's it's just the, exactly the kind of behavior you can picture being at this party or whatever. And it, the person who would do something like there—it's like they love attention. Like it's kind of stupid. Everybody's like kind of embarrassed for them, but it's also like fun, you know. And it's like that's who Madonna is at the party, you know. Like this is her. I mean, I will say though about deep throating the bottle. Taylor Swift would never. So, I mean. People think that being a star is about being fabulous, being in the spotlight having your picture taken all the time and having everyone worship and adore you. Being rich, 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 having it all. And you know what? They're absolutely right. They say that you can't do the master thing tonight, otherwise you'll be arrested. So what's considered master When you stick your hand in your I'm so desperate. For what, honey? For some fun. He loves me. He loves me not. Any messages? No, no, no messages. He just wants to me. He really cares about me. Welcome to Thirty Years Later. I am your host, Ricky Camilleri, and uh, this is your co-host, Chris Chapin. Say hi, Chris. Hi. Great to meet you, everybody. And we're joined today by um, a great uh, reporter, uh, Matt Jacobs. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Matt, you're here to talk with us about Madonna's Truth or Dare, which came out 30 years ago this week, 1991. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Madonna's big behind-the-scenes uh, and concert documentary that is um, was a pretty big hit. Huge it made hit. Uh, millions and millions of dollars. It was pretty much at Madonna's, I think, apex of of yeah. like pro- provocateur fame. She did some stuff after this and still continues to do stuff, and she's a household name. But this was the moment where she was really the most famous and the most ubiquitous. I did think she, did you just say she, she did some been. stuff after this to summarize? Yeah, she had a long time. career what? after this. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yes, she did. She had a very she long career. Some stuff Agreed. after this. Oh my god. But was god. anything? But was anything as provocative as what she did in this moment? Mm-hmm. Like this is the breakthrough moment, and then everything after was like kind of keeping up with it, or at least like trying to maintain it. It was. It was. It didn't have the same. Uh, I, I don't think it had the same breakthrough as as just before this and and during this. Well, right after this came actually her very her most provocative phase, which was erotica oh, and the yeah, sex exactly. book, exactly. when she released a soft core porn coffee table book that cost fifty dollars and is no longer in print. I actually have a copy that I paid I think 
$300 for on eBay. It came shrink wrapped. So, and that was a huge, 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 like critical and commercial like scandal in her life. And then after that, she kind of went in like the spiritual direction and like got into Kabbalah and mysticism and yoga and became a mother. And this, and I, I I was surprised because there's the big moment where she, she, she takes her top off on camera. And I was kind of like, I remember that being a huge deal when this came out and at the moment, and then the moment for some reason I thought, what does it matter? She was already in body of evidence, but body of evidence was two years later, It was which, after I was that, yeah. sh- which I'm shocked by because there isn't a nineties movie that feels more 1986 <laughs> than body of evidence. I think like Willem Dafoe as a hot leading man yeah, what is- and <laughs> Madonna, Madonna. Kind of treated as like a supporting part. Yes, it's true. Well, similar in in the sex book, I mean, she has the photos of her totally topless. Actually, Barry Brown, the uh, editor of Truth or Dare, who I talked to for an oral history that I have of the movie uh, going up on Vulture, it'll probably be up by the time this podcast drops, um, actually told me that he tried to cut around the topless scene, assuming that she wouldn't want it to be in there. And she came back to him and was like, why are you cutting around this? Just show it all, of course. So, I mean, I very much like exhibitionist to the max in a time that when not everybody was game for that sort of thing. Um, we'll get more into it in a second, but before we do, let's just talk, a, you know, it was 30 years later, May 10th, that this came out into wide release. There were a few other movies that came out that week. We'll just say what they are really fast. One of them was FX2. <laughs> The sequel to FX <laughs> with with sure. uh, Brian Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy and uh, weird that that actual, was a franchise, you know. Like it I know that they even. I guess the first one was that much of a success. I have no idea, but it was written by Bill Cundon, who is like this. He he has recently appeared to me in all these different like movies that I would never have expected him to appear in. Like I recently watched Candyman: Farewell to the Flesh, and he wrote and directed that, uh, which is just a strange thing. Some movie called Sweet Talker came out um, with Karen Allen. And then a movie called Switch came out that was directed by, you know, the great Blake Edwards. Definitely one of his late period movies that I can't imagine was pretty good. That was good (laughs) at all with Ellen Barkin and uh, Jimmy Smits. Um, Jimmy Smits. That's what came out. So there there is also a reason that Truth or Dare did really well opening weekend outside of just Madonna's fame. Yes, that's that's true. There was a, <laughs> that and some scraps, apparently. <laughs> um, so, you know, before we really get into picking apart this movie, Matt, give give us an idea as to what was Madonna in 1991? Yeah, as you were saying earlier, this really was what we would refer to in sort of the pop universe as her imperial phase, which I would argue started around... So she came onto the scene in like 82, 83. I would say her imperial phase, which is the kind of like she can do no wrong, everything she touches will turn to gold, was kind of 1988 through maybe 92 in particular. She kind of had another one with a ray of light a few years later. But, um, you right, know, because when, she released really when, when, when did League of Our Own come out? When, League of Their Own was that? That was 92. Yeah, exactly, yeah, 92. Right. And League of Their Own was like the weird exception in her like incredibly provocative, like sexual exhibition y phase with the sex book and, and erotica and, and all of that and body of evidence. Um, but even but even in League of Their Own, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've seen it. There's she's a joke. The character, 
she's the character who is consistently like sleeping with everybody yeah. and is talking about getting laid and does the splits when she yes. gets a, when she catches the ball, right? There's a great joke in it where uh, Rosie O'Donnell, who her co-star who became her like best friend after that movie says something, ain't a man in America haven't seen your breasts already. And it's obviously a commentary on Madonna herself. Um, right. But yeah, but when this movie opened, it was uh, just a couple years after Like a Prayer, which was... Um, you know, hugely controversial music video where she burned crosses and, and, you know, had sex with a black man, which was so scandalous at the time. Um, and, but it was also an incredibly well-received album. It was kind of the, like a huge critical moment for her. And then the Blonde Ambition tour was sort of designed to be this like hyper theatrical, almost like Cirque du Soleil light sort of like pop spectacle that kind of like redefined the scope of pop tours and really was known as like one of the best tours of the 90s and so and and the documentary kind of evolved out of that so yeah so this really came at like madonna on top of the world in a way that she never would be again even though she had a lot of huge moments after this but like we're talking about the show like to watch it in 2020 2021 it kind of seems like an unremarkable superstar short show in a certain way. Cause everyone does these kinds of shows now. And also mm-hmm. even a little nineties E, but these shows hadn't even existed for this long at this point. Like people really credit David Bowie with like glass spiders with inventing this kind of theatrical concert experience. And that was only in like 1987 and it was a huge disaster at the, at the time. So this is 1990. Like it's only a couple years later and Madonna is taking that idea and doing it like amazingly super super popularly and it's captured captured in this film but i just think that's something like interesting to like appreciate is that this is pretty new at this time to have a show like this yeah it really was i think she would love to hear you liken it to david (laughs) bowie who i know she has cited as like an inspiration in terms of the like kind of persona reinvention and also just the spectacle of what she was like trying to do and and her tours after this would only get like bigger and bigger and more acrobatic but yeah, it is kind of like it almost and, you know, it's, it's sort of weird to kind of kind of mythologize something to where you give one person like sole credit, obviously, sure, right, of course. you know, but but it really does feel like she was sort of like redesigning a template because now every pop star does a tour that looks yeah. strikingly similar to this. Right, exactly. Like if you saw Ariana Grande, I mean, Ariana Grande or someone like that, like this is the kinds of shows they're doing. Like everyone does this show now. But Madonna was kind of working her way up to this. Like we talked about Dick Tracy last year and she did a tour basically for Dick Tracy slash for her album where, and it made no sense to me. She had Dick Tracy dancers on stage with her, which um, I was mind-blowingly confusing to think that like all these children or like teenagers were going to see Madonna and being like, Ooh, the Dick Tracy dancers. (laughs) I I love that 1950s (laughs) cartoon. (laughs) That's true. I think I think her like if I can armchair psychoanalyze her, I think her thing there was like, you know, she was singing a lot of like Sondheim tunes in Dick Tracy. And I think it was her bit of like that's when she did like sooner or later, a great performance of sooner or later at the Oscars in 91, um, choreographed by the same person who did the Blonde Ambition tour. And I think that was kind of her quest to be like, I am a like multidisciplinary um, I can sing, like, don't doubt me, kind of like, you know, because her movie career wasn't really going too well. And and yeah. And also corporate synergy, I would imagine. Of course. Well. I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, Dick Tracy yeah, wasn't a gigantic the, hit. With the Disney Corporation. Yeah. Yeah. They were happy to pay for it for her, you know, like, yeah. Um, so I guess first things first with, with 
with Truth or Dare. It is it's it's basically like a two part documentary that are that are intercut and it's backstage and concert footage. The concert footage for my money is some of the best that's ever shot. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's incredibly stylized. The director Alec Karnashian, Karnashian, what is his? Kashishian. Alec Kashishian. He sta- he his camera placement is beautiful. The editing is incredible. There are moments where he does these very stylized cuts which you wouldn't expect in a, in a piece like this, but they're chosen very wisely and, and, and it's beautiful. And they're watching the concert footage after having not gone to a concert for the last <laughs> year and a half. I was like really ready to, if someone had said, you, if you go outside and stab somebody, you can go to a concert, I might have done it. Um, I was just, I just haven't been to a concert. And I'm it dying to go beautiful. to one and to see footage of the absolute best possible <laughs> concert mm-hmm. was um, incredible. But now, Go oh, ahead. I was going to say to talk about the director for a minute. The legend I've heard uh, is that he got this movie based on his Harvard like thesis film or something. Like, is that true? It is true. Well, he, it I is thought true. he'd already been directing videos for her. He had no? done music, vi- not for Madonna. He had done okay. music videos for Bobby Brown and some other folks in the late 80s. Uh, Madonna had, I don't know how she came into... Uh, to own this or whatever, but she somehow had a VHS copy of his Harvard thesis, which was a pop opera of Wuthering Heights that used (laughs) Kate Bush's music and Madonna's music in it. And so of course I'm sure it was some sort of like pat on the back to herself to be like, Oh, I I'm attracted to this uh, idea. (laughs) Um, And the way the story goes is that actually originally this was supposed to just be a concert film for HBO that David Fincher was going to direct. Fincher had done Vogue and Express Yourself and one or two other of her videos and was very, you know, new and hot on the scene, obviously. And, um, and they were kind of, they were close. Didn't they, they dated, didn't they? They did. Yes. You can go find, there's a Vanity Fair profile from around that time, around 91. And you can, it's like a nugget in there of like, you know, they had some sort of little, maybe, I don't know if it was like in between Sean and War, Sean Penn and Warren Beatty or during Warren Beatty, or I don't know what the timeline exactly. I don't know if anybody's ever gotten to the bottom of it, but. Um, the God, the God Fincher. Just, yes. Just, yes. Blowing minds all over Warren the Beatty place. cannot he didn't, compete. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't respond to my request for comment, so I, I didn't get to the bottom <laughs> of it. Um, but apparently he was going to direct the concert film for HBO. He dropped out like five days he was before he was supposed to show up. Madonna remembered this pop opera th- thesis that Alec Kashishian, who was like 24 or something at the time, 26, um, called him and said, can you be in Japan and like where the tour kicks off in like a week? And he was there and the rest of it, or so they say, unfolded totally organically. It was, again, he was supposed to do like some B-roll backstage footage uh, to accompany the HBO special. And then at one point went to her and said, actually, I think you have a movie here with like all the people who are orbiting around you and the relationships that you have in this, high pressure like environment that you're trying to control at every moment and uh that's how we got truth or dare so interesting so and and of course like you're saying with about madonna she's like you're right i am fascinating that should be the movie yes <laughs> you know the way that she that they, they, they are kind of orbiting around her yes but she is also and this is what i mean when i say the madonna as michael scott and is that she is forcing them to sort of orbit around her not just 
because they have to rehearse and they're choreographing, but because she, and right off the top of the film, she keeps saying, I'm a mother to them. I mm-hmm. feel like a mother to them. And it's like, they, it's like, lady, they work for you. Yeah. Like, you're, they, they have to make you feel like they're actually more parents to you than you are to them because mm-hmm. they pick up your dirty laundry. They do everything for you. But it's this kind of like laugh at all my jokes. I am extremely funny no matter what, even when I'm just doing not jokes repeatedly. Oh my God. Yeah. She says not so many one, times. Like multiple times. I forgot about that. Multiple times. You're right. She does love and, not jokes. Yeah. And, every, and, every, and everybody, everybody in the room is like, ha 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 it's so funny madge but like there's this element of her being and i think this is sort of what you have to be if you're going to be as successful as madonna was like wildly unself-aware in regards to the power that she wields uh over these people with the exception of being able to fire them if they piss her off but consistently like like come on come inside i want to be a mother to you i want to hang out with you no one can say no no one can be like, Madonna, I don't want to hang out with you right now. I don't mm-hmm. want to laugh at your jokes. And so there's this element of her, in a way, like torturing everybody as their boss. <laughs> See, and I think she's like hyper self-aware of all those things. And is and is not that I think she's like orchestra or, or inventing it or orchestrating, but I think she's milking it for all that it's worth. And the fact that I mean, I mean, what Madonna you know, she said this from the, from before, you know, the second she got famous is like, all she really ever wanted was to be famous. She just wanted to be a star. So to have, to have created this institution for herself and surrounded her with, you know, interesting, I was rereading Roger Ebert's review of the movie earlier today, and he kind of had a little like, sort of theory in it that, you know, obviously, she hired these dancers who are all these kind of like, misfits most of them like you know they're not out to their families they come from complicated working class backgrounds and it's almost like did she purposefully hire people who were misfits so that she could get them to respond to her in this way to kind of facilitate this dynamic yes mother dynamic yes i i I imagine she said in the interview to them i'll be like a mother to you yeah yeah. Like and they're like, who you? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I have a mother, but and she's like, oh, you 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 have a good relationship with your mom. Oh, we'll we'll have someone else come on then. Don't worry. Like we'll we'll hire somebody else. She just seems so um, obsessive about the idea of herself around them versus having actual moment to moment relationships with anybody. It seems to be about how she the kind of relationship that she wants to cultivate versus what it could be. Yeah, that's. That's interesting, especially because it seems like the one dancer that she has the strongest bond with is Oliver, who's the one straight guy of the group. He's the one whose father comes to visit. He's like estranged from his father. His father had sort of thrown him out. Once he decided to become a, to quit school and become a dancer, his father kind of tossed him out and was like, you know, I, I, basically they stopped speaking and only came back around because he got hired by Madonna and, and was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll come see you on the Madonna tour. And so anyway, he shows up for the movie and, and, and she encourages and everything. And it seems like that's the one dancer of the group, despite, and I mean, look, Madonna is huge in the world of like gay rights activism and AIDS activism and, and is a huge force for that. But like, it's interesting that the one dancer she seems to have like the best relationship is like the straight guy who she can milk his attraction to her. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's like a there's a there's a bottomless need in her. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's a, it there, and yes, 
it is her movie, so therefore she is the star and everybody is orbiting around her. But that also seems to be the way that she operates within her life. It's her movie and everybody is or is a supporting part. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense if you're w just watching the movie, like on the face of it, it's about her. But the way that she acts with everybody is that they only matter in reference to her. Like, I, I would be shocked if she asked anybody anything about themselves that oh, wasn't no. in re relationship <laughs> to her. You know, it, every question would be like, how are you doing on our tour? Yes. How are you doing with this song? You know, like, how how is your relationship with your mother? I'm kind of like your mother, right? <laughs> like, like everything would be mm -hmm. like a pause and then about her. Well, yeah. I mean, not to jump ahead too much, Ricky, but I know that one of the things you really want to talk about is this scene where, is, is it her, the make hair and makeup woman who gets sexually yes. assaulted and Madonna's yes. reaction, yes. she tells it, he's telling Madonna about being sexually assaulted. Madonna's reaction first is to laugh and then to say, well, that you probably just told them you were on the Madonna tour and they wanted to fuck with you. To blame her, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. to blame her. Yeah, like it's her. Very, it's and making it about her herself, you know, it's like. Mm -hmm. You, Matt, you say uncomfortable. I underline, underscore, borderline evil. This, they say this guy tells Madonna that this woman woke up bleeding from her rectum because she was sexually assaulted. And Madonna she, fucking laughs. She just goes like... And then, <laughs> and then blames her for it. Yeah. And then says, oh, I just imagine she was out like running her fucking mouth mm -hmm. and telling people she was on our tour and working at the Ritz-Carlton. And so this happened to her. And then it cuts to this woman and she's like... Shh clearly shaken and she's standing she's there you know and she's just like nothing she's crying she's like nothing is like this has ever happened to me before out of the movie after that never comes up again and you never see madonna talking to her you never see anybody comforting this woman oh my god as like it's 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 and for someone who considers herself motherly to everybody and there was like a pitchfork review of the movie from uh, uh 2020 where they talked about this and it's like she her relationship with the gay men is possibly motherly you could say uh -huh. that but her relationship to the women is far more flawed and this is a very clear uh example uh, uh, of that and i wouldn't even consider this flawed i would consider this heartless yeah i don't believe that you don't remember things like that how could sharon not know what happened to her she said that she thinks someone drugged her she said that she was at the club dancing. The next thing she knew was that she woke up. In, in her room. In her room, nude, and her stuff was stolen, and she went to the bathroom, and her butt was bleeding. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. That's, so all, that's, all, that's all she remembers. She said she wasn't drinking last night. She had a cranberry juice, and that's all she had. And the next thing she knew, they she woke up. They drugged her ass. All I can think of is that she started talking about how she was on tour with me. She's staying at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. And those guys, whoever they were, got it in their mind that they were going to fuck with her. I don't. I, I never thought that something like that would happen to me. I was fine. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It is cr a cringing moment that would never make it into oh a movie unquestioned today. Um, the um, yeah, Im never. Imagine if you watched a fucking documentary about Lord or Taylor Swift, and they were like, um, oh Taylor, uh, Megan, your hair and makeup person for the last, you know, months years was raped last night in the hotel room and taylor swift was like <laughs> <laughs> you, taylor swift canceled forever oh rightly oh so canceled oh forever no gone way. no mm -hmm. way and yeah. i don't even think we can look back at that moment and say well hindsight's 2020 you know different time 
what like was is that an example of of, of a different time? You know, it's just Madonna's like, she's a real tough kid from the streets. You know, this is just her everyday world. She's encountered this situation a million times. You know, it's like if you were, uh, just, you're telling a bank robber, I got pinched. You know, she's like, oh, yeah, I know what that's about. He's... I, and I, I just, I want to say, like, I'm not trying to bash Madonna. I do, I love this period of Madonna and some of the stuff afterwards. But. <laughs> This period specifically and before, I truly love. And the concert footage is a marvel. And she's an incredible performer and rightfully an icon. But that I found I found that moment in so shocking. And I'm surprised that it isn't brought up routinely. Yeah. Like, just like, it isn't clipped out and put on Twitter routinely when Madonna's name comes up. Because that happens with everybody now. You know, it comes up and people are like, oh, by the way, this time Madonna did this in 1991. Like, why are you celebrating this this monster? I mean, Ricky, we should just start that with our Twitter accounts, like today, and then we to promote this episode. You know, you're 100 percent right, and I'm going to put this audio (laughs) clip of us coming up with the idea over it. Just it's embedded on Know Your Meme like forever, you know. But what do you what do you take away from a moment like that with 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 an icon like this? Well, and especially she's somebody who. Uh, was is a survivor of rape herself and has come to use the word rape in very liberal ways over the years, or let me say very uh, loose ways over the years. There was a actually quite, quite positive uh, cover story in the New York Times Magazine written in 2019 when her most recent album came out by Vanessa Gregoriadis, Gregoriadis, Vanessa Gregoriadis. And um, she, I don't know. Uh, I can only read it. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Great writer. Um, and amazing, she, amazing <laughs> when it came out, uh, posted this screed on her Instagram in which she said that the writer made her feel raped because of the details that she chose to focus on in the story. So she obviously has a strange and clueless relationship to what that word and concept means, even as somebody who has been through it herself. Um, there, I mean, there is a, outside of even just this moment, there is like a celebrity cluelessness to her within the documentary that feels like it became like very obvious parody just a couple years later. You know, like you would see this exact behavior, this exact uh, relationship, like fairly inarticulate relationship to activism and the people around her that would come to be a parody of celebrity liberals just a few years later in South Park or or somewhere else. She seems at times to me to embody it in, in this movie. Here's the thing that I love about her in this movie, though, or at least love within the context of what this movie is doing, compared to an age now where in the past decade, every pop star under the sun has released a pop do- a documentary that is essentially a glorified press release, often produced in tandem with their record label or their management team signed off and approved by them. And not to say that I don't think Madonna had a heavy hand in what is in this documentary and the way that she comports herself within it. But one of the central like themes of almost all of these, like the Taylor Swift one, the Lady Gaga one, the Jonas Brothers one, the Billie Eilish one, like is 
all these people seem to sort of hate their lives. Like a big, like recurring <laughs> theme in these documentaries is like struggle, isolation, depression, solitude. And not that any of those things aren't valid and that famous people can't and shouldn't talk about what it's like to go through those things and in the limelight and all of that. But what I love about seeing Madonna in this like freewheeling, hyper-controlled environment where she is the arbiter of everything that's going on and she's forcing everybody to kind of orbit around her is like, this is somebody who, almost in like an old Hollywood kind of way, adores being famous and is having such a good time doing it. And based on the dancers that I've spoken to over the years and the people in her life, like everybody around her seems to be having fun with her too, aside from maybe her makeup artist who got raped one night. But I do think it's it's a pretty big aside. Yes. It is a stark contrast to the, to the imagery that is put out by pop stars today. And I just like revel in getting to see Madonna in that element when everybody today seems like super resistant to it and really married to the whole like stars, they're just like us. They have struggles too. thesis that is so ubiquitous in culture right now. One of the things that her, she does have troubles in this documentary, but her trouble is fame and her trouble is her sense of control, her need to control the fame. I mean, as much as I'm picking her apart, the documentary really is about her personality being this person who needs these things and interacts with these things versus someone who I imagine like the Taylor Swift or the Billie Eilish documentaries are like overcoming like weird emotional strife that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, give me a fucking break. You didn't like you. Yes. What was your your problem was like figuring out an idea for a new album. You paid like 15 people to come in and give you new ideas for an album. And you went with the coolest sounding one that test that like tested well. I was just saying so many of these documentaries now and these pop stars seem like they have something to prove. Like the Taylor Swift one is like, oh wait, look you guys, Taylor Swift actually does care about politics. Or mm-hmm. or the Jonas Brother ones is like, actually wait, hold on, hold on. They're more than just like these Disney Channel twerps. Like they have lives and feelings and backstories too. And truth or dare doesn't really seem like it has something to prove in the same way that today's hyper curated movies do. Well, even even with the final moment, like some of the final moments where she's wandering around her uh, wow. Spanish hotel room and there's all the voiceovers about yes. the difficulty that she has and connecting with people and how controlling she is. I mean, in some ways, it, there are moments where it's about her overcoming something, but it just doesn't have that tacked on um, corporate sort of like triumph feeling that all these new documentaries have. Where there's there's no moment that's supposed to go viral on the internet because they said a thing about how it's hard to be a, uh, to be depressed or, or whatever. Right. Mental, mental, mental health struggles or something, yes. you know, yes. like I struggle with mental, mental health as well. Okay. Nick Jonas. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, or like a shot of them, like, on a in the in the canyons or something like looking over the city of Los Angeles and like you know contemplating their 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 life and their career while some kind of triumphant uh, music ascends in the background. Yeah, none yeah. of that. In well, this. I mean, it is yep. it is interesting because it's like I mean, obviously there have been music documentaries, you know, kind of like this before. Like they talk about Rattle and Hum being a big flop, and like that was sort of a reason people were worried about this movie. But you know it it's it's so it's so predates reality TV like this is before no one the fir- but no one wanted to see Bono's tits Chris <laughs> yeah, so right, like, exactly. you know? right that is true 
Um, but it like it was before the first season of the real world, even. So like I mm-hmm. think this movie really benefits from the way that people are being phony in it is the way they are genuinely phony in their real lives to the other people they interact with. They're not being like reality TV people exactly. And obviously Madonna is like playing it up for the camera or whatever. But I that's one of the things I really love about it is getting to see her be this like manipulative, famous person around everyone that she meets getting everything that she can from them and like being a brat like i love how bratty she is in this movie there's this famous scene where she meets kevin costner and he's wearing like a turtleneck and shoulder pads and tells her his her show was real neat and he she goes like she gags in response it's the best yeah i love that i love that stuff i love it you would never see you would never see a pop star any celebrity almost any celebrity talk about another celebrity that Never. way and then today. And, yeah you know you, you know what's interesting like there was a documentary about the national that the, mm-hmm. na- the singer the national his brother made it and it was definitely one of the more revealing uh, they're not pop stars revealing like rock docs in in recent years because it was about the younger brother's struggle with having a, an older brother that he's incredibly jealous of that is extremely famous but there's a scene where john krasinski and um his wife, forgive me for forgetting John Krasinski's wife's Emily name. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, yeah, the more famous of the two, whose yeah. name I forgot for some reason. Um, the two of them come back to meet Matt Berenger, the singer of The National, and the younger brother's sitting there, and he's like, does something like annoying. And then in the following scene, the older brother is like, you can't fucking do that in front of, like, with me. Like, I'm meeting people, and if you're going to be back here with me, you have to be cool. And that was like an extremely revealing moment. I felt for like a, a the singer of like what's supposed to be like a, a band with integrity yelling at his younger brother for embarrassing him in front of John fucking. In front Krasinski. of Jim from the mm-hmm. office, like. Yeah, I'm I'm at work. Do you understand? <laughs> yeah, um, that's I, the, that's the last time I remember something like that. No, I mean, it's just fantastic to see. I love watching her. You know, all the stuff you're saying about her being, like, manipulative to people and whatever, like, I just, like, I agree with Matt. Like, I think she's just, like, having a great time. And she just, at all times, is trying to keep the mood light and everybody's, like, joking around and she's trying to keep everything, like... And and it is like, if you've ever done any kind of performing arts thing, I mean, this is what performing arts people are like, right? This thing where you're, like, hugging each other all the time and, like... There's yes. an extreme high school drama club. Yes, vibe exactly. To the whole thing. And Madonna Definitely. too, you have to think is like 32 and all these people are like 20 to 22. And so she is also trying to like still be this person, you know, the like 20-year-old version of her that like goes to clubs and is like, "Oh, it doesn't really have any concerns or whatever." I I I personally loved all this stuff. I think Madonna's amazing and I really just loved watching her get to be like a big famous brat. Like it was so much fun. It's it's so and I and I don't think you would ever see it these days like we keep saying. I feel similarly. I think her um for lack of a better word, her bitchiness, her kind of cutting sense of humor she doesn't quite know how to wield it today as well as she did then. But at that time, particularly if you go and watch interviews with her right around this era, which I've done a bunch lately, you know, 91, 92, is an asset, not a, a yeah. drawback for, for me in terms of her. I mean, she is in a way that most celebrities just aren't she is so witty and 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 maybe not with the now jokes you know she she doesn't know quite when to cool it sometimes but (laughs) um 
her intelligence just really comes through and the fact that like she really knows what she's talking about and actually like has some thought she's not this automaton being driven by her manager or anything like that i mean freddie demand who was her manager from 83 to 97 like protested her doing truth or dare said did and her publicist liz rosenberg too said like do not do this you are overexposing yourself this is not i mean and you can see it strike striking in the contact context between her and warren Beatty, who's this kind of old hollywood like king of the hill kind of thing being like looking Why? good by the way looking good i mean looking he looks great very good i love warren Beatty. he looks good he but he does look he looks like he's a hundred years old though compared to everybody well else compared to her compared to her youthfulness she's running around and she's yeah. and she has this and you know like, vivacity Ugh. about her yeah and he's yeah, like sitting in the corner being off. like Ugh. yeah yeah but those, um, but those goddamn sunglasses were are very cool <laughs> i gotta say that he looks very cool for an old grump sitting there yelling at her oh my god but wait, Matt, you you were saying something though. Did did did, did we interrupt you? No, I mean that what, was you. I was no, just saying ahead. that that her her wit, her her bitchiness, if you want to call it that, like particularly in this era, is like part of I think the charm, in well, in, she, in my opinion. At the time, and one Matt, of her you... famous things was like going on Letterman and like outwitting David Letterman like constantly, and that was David Letterman's yes. whole thing was to he was the smartest guy in the room and everybody else was a piece of shit, especially when it was a woman, especially like a very attractive young woman, and Madonna always mm-hmm. made him look like a moron, which was amazing to watch uh, every single time, you know? And Matt, you've, you've interviewed Madonna, right? I did interview her in 2015 when she released uh, Rebel Heart, her second most recent album. Um, I was alone in a room with her for half an hour, and it was as intimidating as you might think it is. She is just as icy, and uh, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you almost, you know, even as a journalist and both like a lifelong Madonna fan, I still am kind of like, I don't know, was this really the experience that I that I needed to have yeah. is to like sit in a room and have Madonna be like icy, even though I love it so much and respect her so much for it. And and for like that, just like, just the, before everybody wanted to be famous, to be able to just be like, I love being famous was sort of this like, just this great thing to watch, but it is a little different when you sit across. It was rebellious, the same right? Couch. It was, it was. Re- yes. Did she wait? So she, she for the entire thirty minutes was she icy towards you, or did she warm up at all? I wouldn't say that. I would say she warmed up. I would say I could tell even just like question to question whether it was a something that she appreciated or like responded to. And when she didn't like a question, she will let you know. I mean, she had just had like that album had been leaked online before, and there was like you know she was really upset about all of that and. Um, I was trying to kind of like talk to her about like that process. And I think just like having to kind of like be asked things about revisiting what it was like to have your like, you know, intellectual property, so to speak, be like, you know, leaked online was kind of like, it was like, okay, I feel the like touchiness. You haven't like moved on from this. Like you're taking it out on me. I get it. But, but no, I mean, it was, it was a a fine experience. (laughs) Do you feel, do you feel like her, her wit, her um, her off the cuff style of the interviews of this time has been replaced with a, an even further iciness and fear of headlines and fear of how she how she's going to be portrayed, rather than just being able herself to control how she's going to be portrayed by by thinking that any publicity is good publicity. 
Yeah, I think you're tapping into something that's really true. I mean, I think the thing that is sort of the drawback for me with her, and I mean, I'm a you know lifelong Madonna disciple, no matter what she does, but in the past like three to six years, she has become so hyper defensive. You can tell that it at some somewhere along the line, I think maybe around in the last three album cycles, I think she was able to start to feel for the first time ever in her career that she was losing her grip on Mm -hmm. like the throne that she had kind of built for herself. And you can see that hyper defensiveness and that unwillingness to sort of, um, to abdicate, so to speak, really come through in ways. Yeah. And it's not like, I don't like, she shouldn't fade away, like make more music, do your thing tour. She did a theater tour last year. It was interesting. Like she's still doing interesting things, but she, just is never going to capture the zeitgeist in the way, you know, whatever the newest 25-year-old pop star is. And she just can't quite accept that. And so I think that defensiveness and that iciness has replaced some of her wit and some of her charisma, where before she could marry it all together. And it was like this great, glamorous, charismatic package that you just like couldn't take your eyes off of. Yeah. Um... There's a scene in the movie where a childhood friend of hers yes. is is waiting to see her, and it's a really tragic slash Christopher Guest like moment uh, in the film. And it's this woman who says that um, she's a she was a dancer herself for a while, but not like Madonna. She was topless. She was a topless dancer, um, and she's yeah. got a, a bu- he's got she's got a bunch of kids. She tells her her sad story to the camera. Um, and then meets Madonna. Madonna comes out, does not take her sunglasses oh off. They're like standing in the hallway in... of the hotel. <laughs> like Madonna has the vibe the entire time that she's just about to step away. Like every single word might be the last. And the woman um, asks Madonna to be her god, the godmother of, of, of her child. And we should also say this is intercut with Madonna telling the story of this girl uh, backstage to her to her friends to her sorry not friends to her employees <laughs> who she thinks are her friends yes um, she is talking about her sexual experiences with this woman who the, which this woman denies uh, amongst other things and then this woman yeah basically kind of kind of corners Madonna as much as you could possibly corner someone with vast amounts of power more more power than you and asks her to once again be uh, her child's godmother and. Would you say that Madonna handles it with grace? I don't know if I'm nervous. I just, I, I just want to see Madonna. Do you recognize me? No, I didn't know you were coming out. Hey, I don't have my glasses on. I can't see. So, how are you? When you see the show, you'll forgive me for not talking to you. Oh, it's I, really difficult. So I, I know. I, well, listen, I got five boys, or I four. I got to ask you something. Can, can we sit down? I can't sit down. I'm really sorry. Why, I hate to, I hate to do this in front of about four years ago I wrote you a, a letter mm-hmm. okay you've never received any of my letters and I asked you if um you would be Mario's godmother yes okay. I remember that did you read the letter I got it real a long time after, after the fact well very unexpectedly uh-huh. real unexpectedly yeah. I'm pregnant again oh really <laughs> oh my god please okay okay I want I want you to be. I want you to be the baby's godmother. Really? I really do. 
Does are, you're coming to the show tonight, right? Mm -hmm. And Melissa has all your phone numbers. Mm -hmm. I know this is too like a rushed, too rushed, rushed of a situation. I'm really flattered that you're asking me, but I have to think about it. Okay. Okay. But that's really sweet what, of you. What? What? It has nothing to do with religion or anything. It has I to do know. With, it has to do with spirituality. <laughs> do I get ever? to decide on the name? <laughs> okay. Okay. As long as it's the same as yours. Okay. Except Except that's why you have got to bless this child. Please bless this child and say she well, needs I would bless a girl. It anyways, she needs a girl. All right, have a girl. Have a girl, Moira. Have a girl, I, Madonna. That's I gotta go. How would you say she handles it? That is a. I would say after I mean, ranking with with a big gap in between after the makeup artist sexual assault thing, that would be the next <laughs> most uncomfortable moment in the documentary. We should also, you might have said this at one point, Ricky, this is a childhood friend of Madonna's who yeah. they grew up together. So it's not some random person showing up. My gathering, I didn't ask Alec Kashishian in my reporting for this, but I had read, I think at some point that he did surprise her with this, that she didn't know that it was coming. So I yeah. imagine, especially when you're backstage of your tour and you're in the, you have all these moving elements and somebody comes up to you who's clearly in a bad way and asks you this ask this bizarre request of you that again i think is an example of somebody just trying to get close to madonna at an opportunistic moment yeah i think she comes off as incredibly she does come off as cold and dismissive but it's almost like what else exactly do you do with that moment I, I agree. Right. I actually think and I, I, she handles it pretty well. I thought yeah. it was really interesting because it's one of those situations where Madonna really seems like some star who's like aloof from everyone. Um, but yeah. it, you, because of everything else that's gone before in the film and because of how well you know her at this point, it just doesn't, you're like, well, this isn't really who she is. This is just a weird situation for her. So it was mm -hmm. so interesting to have all that perspective to a situation we're all familiar with. Like, oh yeah, I went to high school with a movie star and I tried to talk to him, but he didn't even take off his fucking sunglasses. And then he walked away, these fucking movie stars. And you're like, no, like actually it is, you were, you were, uh, you were weird. <laughs> like they, you, yeah. there's no way to react to you that's positive. I mean, it feels to me like I'm not famous and I've definitely gone to a bar in my hometown and had a childhood friend like approach me and like I've wanted to be like, I don't want to have this conversation right now. Like you're <laughs> yeah, weird. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're weird. Yeah. Your life sounds depressing. There's nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this right now. And it, and she I, handles it as, I mean, maybe she could have been a little warmer, but that's not who she is. That's not who she know? is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the woman is being... It's, it's bizarre. It's inappropriate. And it is a bizarre request for somebody that you yourself admit you haven't spoken to in many years. I mean, so and, and she I'll asked, say the, I'll say, go ahead. She, she asks her to be the godmother as if she's asking her for like, would you give me a million dollars? Like her tone of voice is very weird. Like it just, it seems like she's Well, I'm sure that was going to be the follow-up question that Madonna <laughs> said, yes. And can I also have a million dollars? Right. And so now that you're the godmother of my child, do you want to pay for their college, yeah, which exactly. would just be cash in hand exactly. that you give me now and I'll save for the, the baby? Exactly. Later. She knew what she was doing. And Madonna knew what she was doing in response to, I think. Um, 
But speaking of uh, people from Madonna's past, I want to bring up my favorite character um, from the movie, which is uh, Madonna's brother. Not oh, the yes. brother that who is with her backstage the whole time, but the brother who the... goes to doesn't show up to meet her in Detroit because he's out late and he has some lame-ass excuse where he's like, limo guy didn't have the keys to the limo. We had to go back and we had to figure and it doesn't it doesn't make any sense because he shows up like four hours late or something. And so it's like, how did that take that long? But there's all these great interviews with this Goomba brother of hers that's like like he's he's like, Yeah, she's famous, but uh when I see her, she knows what time it is with me and I know what time it is with her. Like just this great line. Yeah, well we're tight, you know, we talk and stuff. She gives me advice and I give her a few tips and she gives me a few tips and we could really have a give and take relationship, you know? We can get past that star bullshit, you know? She knows what time it is with me, and I know what time it is with her. <laughs> yeah, He's but... my favorite character in the documentary because everybody is surrounding this famous person, and then all of a sudden for this blue-collar guy to show up and be like, yeah, I'm Madonna's brother, so what? I don't care. <laughs> There's something about also, because we see her father in the film as well, it's like you can see the like the the like lineage of this family and how like, you know, it skipped a couple kids from like the, the like stern, hyper-Catholic, like working class father to like, you know, the like, I, I don't know where Madonna is in the line. I just know she has like several siblings, but I don't know where she is in the line of it, but um, uh yeah it's interesting to like pair the two of them together <laughs> i mean her relationship to her family is very strange yeah. in the sense that sure i mean i actually thought the most normal relationship she had with anybody in her family was the brother who didn't show up like that to mm. me seems like a very normal relationship it's like ah oh, shit i fucked up i went to the bar and got drunk i didn't show up to my sister's little get together at the uh, hotel i know my sister was doing like, her singing thing i was supposed to go say hi uh, I don't know. yeah like where is the dad she like brings him up on stage and then she immediately is like do you think my dad's gonna kill me for that so like it clearly wasn't really about singing happy birthday to her dad it was about giving the audience like a personal moment an intimate personal moment with her and the dad had to kind of be along for the ride and then the other brother who is what is he like her Kind of like her personal assistant in a way. He was the art director on the tour, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just thought he was kind of like a, a great art director. I think sure. he was a personal assistant. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a scene, there's a scene where they go to their mother's grave. Yes. And she puts on the show for the camera where she cuddles the grave. <laughs> that is the funniest thing like, in the whole movie, definitely. Uh -huh. She uses the, brother, the gravestone the, uh, as a pillow and lays down contemplatively. And <laughs> like... And the other brother is like standing at a tree, just kind of watching this. And it's like, oh God, like you can feel him like groaning while his sister puts on this performance in front of the camera, but he can't say anything because she fucking pays him. Right. So like the only person who can not show up for her, who can, who can be a real brother is the guy who fucks up and doesn't doesn't care. The only one where the relationship isn't like a tug of war of like, what do I get from you and what do you get from yeah. me? Interestingly, uh, you guys should watch if you haven't ever seen it. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, Julie Brown, the comedian, did for Showtime a parody of Truth or Dare in which she portrays Madonna. Uh, it's called Medusa Dare to be Truthful. And it yeah. is hilarious and she oh, imitates the uh cemetery scene except instead of 
a mother figure she's going to deliver to um to visit her dead dog and it is it just really <laughs> pokes holes at the ridiculousness of like the whole conceit of like apparently Alec Kashishian had like mic'd this the site beforehand and like set up cameras afar and the rest of it just like unfolded according to whatever Madonna thought she wanted to do in the moment and just to like see just the sat- the satire of it in Julie Brown special is just wonderful <laughs> Well, it's weird to say, it's it's strange to satirize something that is already clearly a joke. Because mm-hmm. I thought Madonna was joking the the whole time. I didn't think that she was sincerely. I, I think she, think she is. I think she was. She, I, I think, think it's a sincere really? performance for the camera. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think it is totally sincere. I mean, she's always been, I mean, her mother's death has always been kind of the animating event right. of her life. Yeah. She's written about it she talks about it still to this day as like the thing that you know whatever and it also goes hand in hand with the whole like now she's being the mother figure in truth or dare like it's a very like kind of clean narrative for her um so i do think the like emotion is genuine but in the sense that like she knows there are cameras observing her and she needs to give give it a show I'll tell you the other. I'll tell you the other scene that makes me. It's funny and harmless compared to the others that we're referencing. But the other scene that makes me a little uncomfortable is the and the one with Antonio Banderas's wife. Oh, oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so this is the scene where Pedro Madovar is uh, throwing a party for or a dinner for Madonna and and her her people and um, and Antonio Banderas, who she's so attracted to, has been invited to the party and she realizes shortly before that he's married and basically makes a very naked attempt to uh, poach Antonio Banderas from his wife while she is sitting right there next to him. Um, And it's just one of those things that's like, this is a fun celebrity snapshot. Okay, whatever. These ridiculous Hollywood people doing their thing. But like, it's just also very cringing to sit there and watch and think about like Antonio Banderas' wife. Well, and it's it, even I mean, worse. It's, it, it's, it's even worse, supposedly, in real life. Like Almodovar wrote an article about it last year, where he said yeah. basically, like Madonna moved Antonio Banderas' wife to like to this table all the way across the room. And actually, Antonio Banderas didn't even speak English at the time, but still, they Madonna is trying so hard to hit on him, and like it's it's it seems awful. It seems truly awful. Yeah, yeah. She seems aware of how awful she's being, though. I like think so. I agree. Fun. It's like fun for her, you know. She knows what she's 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 the again, she's that exhibitionist like maximal entertainer wherever she goes, she is going to put on some kind of show and she's witty enough to be able to improvise some kind of spe- spectacle for herself wherever she goes. And clearly so you, Antonio Banderas was fine with it because they started in Avita together a few years later. Oh, that's right. They did. They did. And she and Pedro Amadovar have remained friends. There are tons of photos of them together, including as recently as a few years ago. So, like, I guess whatever he said, you know, he forgave her in spite of it. I mean, it seemed like fun. Honestly, it seemed like a fun party. Everybody was laughing and yelling at each other. And, you know, it seemed great. And it's not like Antonio Banderas and that wife stayed together. So Right. Yeah, yeah. Were, who they, knows they what were, happened after yeah. that? Yeah. They were they were doomed anyway. I wonder if Melanie Griffith pulled the same shit and she was like, "No more, mm. I can't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is something again. A lot of times on this show, we're talking about things where I I personally don't have direct experience of this. But one of the things I read about this movie that was a huge deal 
is that you know its depiction of homosexuality it's like pretty groundbreaking in a lot of ways for a movie that's like very very mainstream to have this kind of casual depiction of you know gay men in america in the early in 1990 1991 like just living their lives and like joking around and reading the newspaper and like laughing with each other and and that has a depiction of a pride parade which also at the time was like pretty unusual right and so if you are a i have read if you're a gay man of a certain age like this was really influential on so many people because as a young person living anywhere in america getting to see this in this movie to just to feel like oh like these are these are real people like uh, there are real people like this like i can be like this this was like hugely influential to to culture Mm -hmm. but isn't the gay pride parade and i could be wrong and if i am i'll cut this question but isn't the isn't the pride parade footage intercut with the three dancers making fun of oliver or, or, is, no. or am I mixing it up? Like, is it's intercut with a story of some? Is someone telling is a it story? Oliver telling so that is, homophobic it, story? Is that so? It yeah. is intercut with Oliver standing up in the hotel window, looking down on the parade and making. I don't remember off the top of my head what he says, but it's very clear even earlier than that in the film that Oliver has never met gay people. Is very much like the, the straight guy outlier. And is very uncomfortable around them. And so he is up in the window looking down. And again, I don't remember what he says, but it's uh, it's very clear that he doesn't really understand what he's looking at. And yeah. um, I and think I over think the, the course mo- of the film, he like you can see him progressively becoming more comfortable around around the guys and around the gay men. And I think that's another kind of component of this. Like you saw in real time, like somebody realized that these were humans who have childhoods and the same, you know, stories that, that he does. And so I think that was part of that like revolutionary aspect. And we should also note this came out the same year as Paris is, is burning. So it was like truth or dare and Paris is burning, like kind of back to back was just like, so just kind of seminal. Except Oliver gets up and walks away during the truth or angrily storms out of. The he does. You're dare right. Scene. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But there's also this, this sense of with with Oliver where he he's he's getting comfortable with it but at the same time Madonna seems to be solely attracted to men uh for person I mean for sexual relationships who are outside of the the ones that she cultivates in her career and in friendship you know like Warren Beatty couldn't be further from the kind of lifestyle that she's living on 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 this tour mm-hmm. Sean Penn I imagine similarly <laughs> could would, could have very little very little interest in pop stardom they seem to be men who have a kind of disdain why well, because like i think she wants to be the interesting one you know like she wants to be the one that's shining and like vivacious and then they are trying they're having to deal with her and you know she's feeding them in this certain way and there's a push and pull there and usually it ends up that she leaves you know that it doesn't or they break up it doesn't it doesn't work out you know but i i think that's a must be a dynamic that she likes but i mean speaking of like the men that she's with there's this whole subplot too that like there's a tabloid story that she has sex with oliver and the movie Uh is kind of in investigates that a little bit and leaves it a little ambiguous there's a lots of shots of Oliver looking kind of like wounded when Madonna is like hanging out in bed with people or kissing somebody and like walking away. So like Matt, I would like to ask you as a truth or dare expert, do you think they actually had sex? I don't know. Um, 
And not to uh, say that this would have stopped her, but we are talking about the period when... Okay, so she apparently... She had just divorced Sean Penn in 1989. She, at some point in there, had some kind of liaison with David Fincher. Then in 1990, on the set of Dick Tracy, she gets together with Warren Beatty. They're together through shortly before the time this movie comes out... At what point does she have time for any more? <laughs> but you know, not to say that that you know there weren't arrangements or or carefree attitudes on her part. I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to this question, um, and I think it is highly possible. But I don't know. Warren Beatty's comments towards her uh, in the film. Is he, do you view him as an asshole or do you enjoy his, his cantankerous attitude towards her, her fame? It seemed like mostly jealousy to me. Yeah. I mean, as we were saying, like that kind of vivacity and that youthfulness that she has is like such a stark contrast for him. I mean, I, I don't see him as an asshole. I think he doesn't, I think he really doesn't understand what she's doing. I think, you know, as we're saying, like, this is, relatively unprecedented. I mean, there was Don't Look Back and Rattle and Hum and a, a couple things, but like you didn't have like these these documentaries about famous people coming out left and right. And Warren Beatty comes from an era when like Mystique was the ultimate like throttle behind stardom. Mm-hmm. And so he's operating according to this rule book that is slowly kind of becoming outdated and would very quickly become outdated with the rise of reality TV and social media, as we've been saying. Um, So I, I think it's sort of charming their back and forth and the way that she kind of needles him. And yeah, that kind of like, I mean, he's just such a grump. And I mean, he was 53 or four at the time. She's like in her late twenties, early thirties, like, I mean, they're just a world apart. And I think that like gap is really what you're seeing in like their interactions, even though they seem to have a pretty good relationship, all things said. I think they're also a world apart. And I think the the time period was very far apart for masculinity's approach to pop, like female-centered pop music. Like, I yeah. just don't think it was actually that okay to be a straight man in 1989, 1990, and to be like, I love Madonna. You know, yeah. I, I, it was just a very different time. So I bet he didn't have much respect for her art. I bet like, and like just in the same way that Kevin Costner came in and said that was neat. Yeah. You know, he just like not allowed, emotionally allowed to like Madonna. Whereas we are in a different time now where I think, you know, men can be kind of like the new Taylor Swift album is amazing. I really, I really right. love folklore in 1989. Right. You know, I've seen, I saw Lord twice or something, you know, like that's actually me. I saw Lord twice, but <laughs> I do think. Totally get it's it. Just a, I do think it's a very different now is a very different time in terms of how men can approach pop music like that. Where yeah, I mean, he's, he just couldn't. He's a product of the rock and roll era in more ways than one. He's a product of old Hollywood, and you know, yeah, the, these kind of um, aggro ideas about you know pop artistry and and I mean, it, you know, which carried on until the late two thousands or later, yeah. I guess. Though Madonna, I mean, and you can speak to this. I feel like Madonna was kind of a bridge there simply because of what she was doing with her shows and how the kind of conversations her art was um, was provoking. 
Well, and her ubiquity. I mean, even, you know, I mean, we, this is sort of a cliched idea that like pop careers kind of get recycled after, you know, with, with, within a decade at most, you're lucky to last that long. And I mean, none of the women who very few of the women, Janet Jackson, maybe as a, as the big exception who were doing what Madonna did, which was to put on a show and, and, and do music videos and, and, and create a persona that was about dance and theater. And it wasn't just like the girl with the guitar on the, on the stage or the, the woman with, you know, the Whitney Houston kind of pipes, which would always be, you know, respected in a way that some, you know, Michael Jackson and Prince and, and men could do this thing and get praised and beloved for it. But there weren't really a whole lot of people who did what Madonna was doing at the time other than Janet and like really stuck around. So that like, it almost kind of became like, you kind of had to buy into her at a certain point because clearly she wasn't going to go anywhere. She wasn't going to stop. And I mean, it's interesting. Like we, you were talking about the way she found the director, which is that like, you know, she happened to have this tape somehow and, and brought this guy in. And and I think that's been one of the genius things Madonna has done like well into the two thousands is to like vacuum up what's going on in culture and turn it into Mm -hmm. a Madonna product you know, take like the best weird producer from, you know, Berlin or London or whatever and have them make a song that's a Madonna song. And then it's like a huge, huge hit. So in a way she's like this kind of factory corporation that existed for decades. Like, yeah, you know, identifying talent everywhere in the world in pop music, uh, which made it, you know, yeah, hard to ignore. And you wouldn't really want to ignore it because it was like a great opportunity for these people. And it was so exciting if you were a fan of theirs before that, or, or even if you just learned about them from Madonna and then got to dive into their work afterwards, like someone like Mirois is like, obviously I'm thinking of like, Mirois, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Mirois, right. It's, it's amazing. Right. Like it's what, what a great talent and what an interesting relationship. And like, yeah, I think that's one of the things she's she's a real genius at. Yeah, she has an incredible ear for producers. I mean, this is somebody who, you know, Niles Rogers, Nile Rogers produced yeah, her second album. Uh, Shep yeah. Pettibone, uh, Patrick Leonard, uh, William Orbit, who was this underground nobody until Madonna plucked him out right, for Ray yeah. of Light and made the best album of her career in 1998. <laughs> I mean, so... Uh, she's always had that ear. I think she's lost it a little bit in in the most recent years. But even still, I think people don't give her credit for making music that doesn't sound like it just fits into whatever everybody else is doing on the radio or on on Spotify or whatever mm-hmm. you know the delivery system is now. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think she gets nearly enough credit for her producing talent and her like eye for for talent. Yeah. Well, I guess what we we talked we talked about her relationship to sex and being, and we and I said, I've used the word provocateur or being uh-huh. provocative at the time. And there is this moment where she's in Toronto, which she refers to as the fascist state of Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> because they're threatening to arrest her. If she does the, like a virgin masturbation uh, yes. dance um, choreography on the bed, which is um, an incredible number. Um, but I'm wondering if you have a take or any way of speaking about what she did do for sexual liberation or the way that we talk about sex in 1991, 1992. Because, I mean, this is a period of time where Michael Jackson was just banned from television for grabbing his crotch, or they at least had to cut it out of the black or white video, which I think was the year before, 1990, or maybe it was 90, 91, around there. So mm-hmm. it was... 
like selling using sex to sell was a huge part of the 90s and it was happening in much more frequently than we get it now where i think like you know wet ass pussy is like the most provocative thing that comes out but it's really not provocative at all the only people who really care about it are like the people or conservative talk radio hosts who are using it as a headline whereas madonna was actually a conversation in every household home you know is she actually empowering is she a slut is she this is she that and so sex became this converse because of her became a very regular conversation in homes and i think sexual not liberation those years before but um you know having multiple partners like seven years later you get a show like friends where people are talking about sleeping with someone new last night and that becomes a household household show and i think madonna you can kind of track it to madonna a little bit i think so you know it's interesting that you bring up the idea of like people talking about whether she was a a a quote-unquote slut like there's actually a book that came out in 1994 i want to say written by this journalist and it's called the i hate madonna handbook and there is an entire chapter titled madonna feminist or slut question mark yes this, let me also say this book is written by a woman so <laughs> this is really yeah, complicated I mean, really complicated stuff me, like, i wasn't calling her a slut no i know i know i, I mean that was growing I mean, we up can as just like a own it if that's I what you were doing. Hearing, you know, like, <laughs> I remember, I remember hearing that conversation regularly yes. or, around the house. I mean, of slut course. wasn't the word that it is. I mean, it was the word that it is it now, but like, like a lot of words at that time, it wasn't. You know, it it wasn't like, hey, you shouldn't say that. Like, you know, people yeah. are allowed to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with. It was still very common to debase and degrade someone using using that as a term, and she was regu- routinely called that. I think Madonna made an inadvertent decision that really paid off, which was to do this from the very beginning of her career so that it never totally seemed like an act. It really did seem like who she was and what she believed. And that provided a natural segue into some of the things that she would do later, specifically around like, you know, she was, I, it might've been the Blonde Ambition Tour, or maybe shortly, somewhere in the course of, of the AIDS epidemic, she was like, handing or maybe it was in the liner notes of one of her albums she'd put like guidelines for safe sex in it so like she was a very sex positive kind of person in a in a way that felt even though it was obviously a a a a marketing tool as well it really felt like ingrained in her and i think also something that you guys have talked a lot about on this podcast is like the monoculture that existed at the time and i think Mm -hmm. if you think back to like the justify my love video which came like right after um, or right around the same time as this and was banned from MTV. Well, she went on one of the like prime time, like 6 p.m., 7 p.m., whatever the slot was at the time, like NBC's evening news and gave an interview about it. It wasn't siloed off to MTV. It wasn't put in some entertainment magazine. Like this was headline news in prime time on one of the big three networks because that's how quote-unquote important what madonna was doing at any given moment was she was able to saturate this in a way that nobody else again like no woman specifically could at the time we were talking about the toronto thing i mean it it does seem kind of like over over dramatized in a certain way but like what you're saying matt like the government showed up to try to stop her show. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the level of deal she was at the time. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just going to backtrack for a minute. You reference that we talk about monoculture uh, a lot on this show. Matt, are you a regular listener to 30 Years Later? (laughs) I have listened to 30 Years Later, yes. I'm also just, I will like absorb anything I can about just like the evolution of the monoculture and and where we are in (laughs) in this sad moment of of pop culture that we're in. I can't uh, believe you're such a nerd. You brought it up during the show. Like we're just supposed to text about (laughs) it afterwards. (laughs) I noticed too, but I was playing it cool. Oh, I don't play it cool. Also, I, I do think like you could choose any episode and and like press play at a random moment, and there's a good possibility we would be talking about. We're like the monoculture yeah, I, used I, to exist. I swear. I can't say that I've listened to every episode you guys have put out, and yet every episode that I have listened to, I think contains some kind of discourse about the monoculture. Yeah, it's impossible to ignore when of you're course. talking about. When you're talking about 1991, yeah, of course. Like you can, I mean, Taylor Swift is probably inarguably the biggest pop star right now. Definitely. And you could go into many homes in America and, and find people who've never heard Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I I don't think it would be that hard. I think they'd be like, oh, I think I know a song by her. I'm, I, I don't really know though. Whereas in 1991, I don't think you could find a home that didn't know like a virgin or Mm -hmm. didn't know. Uh, Vogue. Oh, I mean, everybody yeah. had seen the video or was doing the thing from yep. Vogue that she was doing and referencing yep. it. I mean, she was because there was also that period of time where everything became parodied very quickly, right? And you had years, like years of parody based off of one thing that was popular mm-hmm. before. Because so it, you could we have, didn't burn out on it after a day yes. of memes about it. Yeah, like right. Vogue so parodies. It was like SNL five book. years of Vogue parodies, at least. You know. Yeah. Right. You'd have the SNL sketch, the Mad TV sketch, and then there'd be like the Naked Gun movie about it, like two <laughs> years later, and then yep. Plump Fiction or some other like straight to video, straight to video parody movie that did mm-hmm. Madonna in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you couldn't escape something like like Madonna. When she transcended, I mean, what is the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs, but a long discussion about when Madonna was at her hottest in which music video, like Quentin Tarantino's script, who would, you know, later, you know, collaborate with her, like, like scripted her, scripted a scene about Madonna. Like it just, it just, she just just transcended. And in Pulp Fiction, where she keeps saying like, I want to have a little pop belly like Madonna in Lucky Star. Yes. Yes. So the movie premiered, so the movie opened in May 1991 in the U.S. and premiered, oh, we can also talk about the Harvey Weinstein of it all because he did distribute this movie. Um, It opened in May, on May 10th, 1991. Five days later, it had a midnight screening at the Cannes Film Festival. And apparently Sean Penn had a movie premiering at Cannes this year, that year. And after seeing, he had gone to a screening of Truth or Dare, and afterward he tracked down Alec Kashishian, the director, and went up to him and said, dude, you really captured her. You got her perfectly. So call back to Sean (laughs) Penn saying that this is apparently the Madonna that he knew too. Um, But yeah, Harvey Weinstein did distribute this movie and uh, apparently... um, uh, had some kind uh, attempted to kiss Madonna at one point, and she pushed him away and said, "You smell like a fucking ashtray." I'm, I'm the Sean Penn story. I'm surprised that because as you were leading up to what Sean Penn said, I was pretty sure it was going to be something like 
you either take out her her scene about me or I'm going to punch you in yeah, the no, goddamn I th- face. Yeah, no, I thought it was going to be that, too. I thought it was going to be like, listen <laughs> to me, you piece of shit. <laughs> That's what Alec thought, too, actually. The quote that I have from him is something to the effect of, I saw Sean Penn coming up to me, and my first thought was, is he about to fucking punch me in the face? And then he complimented the film instead. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if Sean Penn's ever really punched anybody or if it's just something he says all the time. I mean, I guess he punched a few paparazzi. Yeah, yeah he yeah. landed in jail for it at one point. Madonna went to visit him and apparently he was in the cell next to the Night Stalker, the, that L.A. serial killer guy. Is that really Incredible. true? Is that true? Uh, according to the documentary about it on Netflix, wow, it's true. That's I can't, crazy. can't prove it that's beyond crazy. that. But... That's crazy. Um, so... Uh, three questions that we ask. And the first one is, what was your favorite part of the movie? I think my favorite part of the movie is a really small, random moment that gay audiences in particular love, which is uh, actually it's Warren Beatty's in the background and she's sort of kind of running her mouth to him while Joanne, her makeup artist, is attempting to like do her makeup in, in the mirror. And she's like running her mouth so and all of a sudden snaps a joint and says do something else do my eyebrows and it's like one of those like perfect like crystallizations of that like like bitchy like catty just and it's so fun it is just and i I, I, you can go online and find their t-shirts of like the like with like like a you know a print of her that says do something else do my eyebrows (laughs) (laughs) Chris, what do you got? Oh man. I mean, I do just love seeing this, what we've been talking about the whole time. Just, just the real manipulative, self-centered, bratty, fun loving, you know, obsessed with herself, Madonna in this movie, just like her existing everywhere. Like it's just such a fucking pleasure to see. I mean, there's a scene in the movie where like she's talking to her dad on the phone and I think she's eating soup out of a champagne bucket. Isn't that like, it's so, it does look like a champagne bucket now that you say it actually. And I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on? Like, what is the like what led up to this and but it's just like this is just her life you know and it's i just and it's some gross looking like thin watery like blue suit and there's like like, long things coming out of it that are either like maybe it's like spinach or it's like some kind of disgusting noodle (laughs) it's like it looks vile but it's like, you know, this is, and she's got her hair in a towel, you know, and she's in some fantastic suite at the Ritz Carlton or something. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love being inside of this world so much. It's so fantastic to me. I'm going to go with her brother. <laughs> um, I just loved the phrase. She knows what time it is with me. And I know what time it is with her. He suddenly appears as this extremely macho blue collar guy like totally out of place in the world of the movie that you've been watching for like an hour and 10 minutes. And then it just cuts to this guy who's got like his shirts, like unbuttoned down to his chest. And, you know, he's, he's sprawled out on the couch. Like he owns it. And he's just talking about her. Like he does not give a he shit. Definitely, and then he, <laughs> he has the energy of somebody he who doesn't would, show like, up to hang out with her. He seems like he would like sell you cocaine, but then insist that you hang out yes. with him all night yeah. while you do cocaine together. <laughs> and you're terrified, but he maybe thinks you're best friends, you know? Like, <laughs> and, then, and there's a, and then he's supposed to come to the, he's the, before he's supposed to get to the suite and hang out with her, she tells her security guard, my brother's coming. He might be coming with a bunch of people. When they come in, I need you to be around them, but be nice mm. to him. But you have to, but you, he, she goes, but you have to chaperone him. Yeah. He's crazy. 
He's crazy. <laughs> but be nice to him. Which I thought was so telling. Like, my brother's going to come into this hotel room. He's going to drink all of the booze and trash the shit out of it. But you have to be nice to him. <laughs> Just try to get him to not trash everything. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so another question is, um, what was the most 90s thing about this movie? Because our podcast taking place 30 years ago from now, every movie is going to be in the 90s. So we have to ask, what's the most 90s thing about this movie? One day we'll get to the 2000s oh and we can say, well, Fred Durst directed it or something. <laughs> yeah. Like 2000s of it. I think the most 90s thing is maybe the, the specific parade of celebrities that comes to greet her backstage. You've got Lionel Richie, Olivia Newton-John, um, Kevin Costner, um, I mean, some of these people, I mean, Al Pacino and Mandy Batikin. Okay. All right. They're still around today. Antonio Banderas, but it's just like this. I just... love that Mandy and Pacino are hanging out together. Yeah. Like, yeah. The two, like they're probably sitting there having a very boring conversation about acting, <laughs> right? Like everybody else is trying to meet Madonna and like talk about the show and kiss her ass. And Pacino and Mandy are talking about like the next Broadway play they're going to do or the you know the time Pacino did Richard yeah. the third in his 20s or something. <laughs> they definitely when she says their names they just very briefly stand up shake hands and immediately sit back down again and like yes, yes. go yes. back to right talking about the fucking the old Vic or something but I will say the celebrities that you just mentioned with the exception of Pacino and Patankin are very 80s celebrities yeah Olivia Newton-John Lionel Richie Kevin Costner's very 90s the 90s were kind of Costner's decade mm -hmm. but there is one celebrity in this who's my 90s pick, pick for most 90s, who has oh, a pretty yes. big scene in the movie, Sandra Bernhardt. Yes. Oh, of course. Yes. yes. As much as she had moments in the 80s, the 90s were really Absolutely. Sandra Bernhardt's time. Because and they were great friends for a long time. Not anymore, but they were. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually don't, I, they've talked about it over the, I actually don't think anybody knows the full story of their falling out, but Sandra Bernhardt has talked about it recently. She didn't want to talk for my oral history. I think she's done commenting on Madonna, but yeah, they did have some kind of falling out at some point, but that also, Madonna tends to fall out with most of her friends. Gwyneth Paltrow, like they've all fallen out at some point, except yeah. for Rosie O'Donnell. Well, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> to like totally insane people who can be supportive and like the only two people who could possibly understand each like, other. Like no I matter guess. what behavior but one the, of them is describing to the other one, they're just like, yeah, yeah of course you did the right thing. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Madonna, Madonna calls Rosie and she's like, Rosie, I'm getting an, I'm going to do an Instagram video in a tub of like milk and flowers. And I'm going to say it's for, the victims of the most recent mass shooting. <laughs> and Rosie O'Donnell's like, ah, oh, Madge, I love it. I love it. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> So, Chris, what was your 90s answer? Oh, my God. I mean, well, I think this is the tricky thing about this. I mean, first of all, take your fucking pick. I mean, it's Madonna, Blonde Ambition, yeah. Truth or Dare. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those, like, foundational texts. And, I mean, now that we're in 1991, a couple things have happened that we've talked about that are, like, establishing the 90s sensibility. And I think this is really one of those. This is a whole strain of 90s pop culture that exists for a very, mm -hmm. very long time. 
because it, it this this genre of Madonna, this like imperial Madonna. I mean, even past ninety two, obviously she's just such a like huge presence in in culture. Like that's great, you know, all that stuff. It's so so nineties. I mean, the stuff about homosexuality that we're talking about, the kind of like safe sex stuff. I mean, there's uh, this is like a really dumb one, but like several times at Soundcheck, Madonna's wearing a like cycling cap, which I was like, oh, that's so <laughs> that's so perfectly oh, yeah. 1990. She looks she looks extremely cute in that cycling. Cap. It's great, and it was like absolutely what everyone was wearing just for these like 16 months. You know, like it's yeah, it's perfect, perfect that she's wearing this cycling cap. I will in in regards to this being a setup for things later in the nineties, we talked about this with Silence of the Lambs a couple months ago, or at least I said it, which is this kind of like the final mainstreaming of transgression. Whereas like oh, transgressive yeah. art was really um relegated to sleazy art sleazy movies or art fair in the seventies and eighties. And the nineties you start getting transgressive murder movies like Silence of the Lambs and Seven and um, you know, yeah. uh, eight millimeter and you get this sort of mainstreaming of uh of sex as well and madonna well, is the, kind of the, the peak of, of the peak of erotic thrillers yeah. yes it's interesting though the way it it, it kind of comes and goes in waves though it's like it's also the period when i mean when you say like sleaze and kind of all the, you know the first name that comes to my mind is john waters right. and that was like his mainstream phase like in 70s right. and 80s he was doing this like transgressive like you know you know. But that makes sense, though. That makes sense because in the 70s and 80s, yeah, he had Hairspray, which was probably his most mainstream hit, yeah. his biggest mainstream hit. And I think that's like a PG movie. But the, the stuff in the 70s and 80s was not mainstream. It was sleaze. So, of course, he would become mainstream in the 90s and he would take his sensibility to something like Serial Mom. Yeah. Which was an attempt at like a, I mean, that was a studio movie. It's so good. I love that movie so much. We didn't really talk about the truth or dare scene, oh, the titular yeah. scene oh, yeah. from it's the right. movie. Right, right, right. I mean, this is one of those I mean, that, things, um, like, as a young boy, like, you just hear rumors about this. Like, it's, you know, like, it's a golden dragon. You're like, there's this movie where Madonna gives a blowjob to a bottle. And you're just like, I didn't even know. Oh, really? Oh, really? Uh, last question that we have is, um, it's been and it's been 30 years since this movie came out. Obviously, things have changed since then. What do you think we as a culture have grown out of um, in the 30 years uh, since this movie's come out? In relation to this movie? Yeah. Do you want to take a shot at the question, Chris? I thought that was, I did a pretty, I did I okay did a pretty good job. I, I got in trouble once for making fun of Ricky for asking this question really badly. <laughs> and now I just, and now I just oh, like defer to you at the end of asking it every time. No, it's, he just means like, you know, what's something that used to be really common either in filmmaking or in society that now is not, mm. is not common at all anymore that you see in, in mm -hmm. this movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I can answer to give you a second, Matt, but like, I mean, yeah. I definitely think not to step on what I'm sure your answer is, Ricky, but definitely the reaction she has to the rape situation, like that is a hundred percent. Like at the time, that was it was like that's people hardly even mention this when they talk about this movie. I mean, these days when people write about it, they do mention it. They literally mention it, but it's not like a subject of analysis a lot. And let alone at the time, do you know what I mean? At the time, it was to to react to someone's story of a sexual assault by saying like, "Well, they probably were doing something stupid." Like that was pretty normal back then. 
And I don't, you definitely 100% would not see that today, like not in a million years, you know? Yeah, I was going to say taking a woman's sexual assault for granted is uh, is probably the big thing that we've grown out of yeah. since this movie came out. Yeah, 100%. yeah, that is definitely true. And how do I follow up <laughs> on that? <laughs> Just Matt, you're, Matt, you're, you're should, Matt, yours should be like, oh, the shirt she yeah. wears is so nice. Right, oh, right, right. right. The costumes that. that they're wearing. Like, that what ponytail the is, that? is just so nineteen ninety one. obviously yeah. a weave. Like, come on, there's like a big metal ring in the middle of it. Like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Madonna. I was eventually she had to stop wearing the ponytail because it kept getting caught in her microphone during the performance, which is a bummer because it's such a, a good look. It's an iconic look, yeah. I like her with the yeah. short hair, too. I like the short hair also. I, I will say the end of the film where she, this isn't something that we've grown out of her anything but the end of the film where the final song that she does uh what is it like we are family or it's it's seems like madonna's version of we are family i don't i don't know what i think you might be referring to a verse from holiday oh where she's saying it over and over and over again yeah oh okay i didn't realize that that was a verse from 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 holiday um again it, it feels like the documentary is trying to make the point that like this was her family or this is her family and that they need to be together. And I just did not necessarily buy that because she is their employer mm-hmm. the whole time. And I've had bosses who want to be like the cool, fun boss. And they want to come in and, you know, like make everybody laugh and joke around with them. And it's 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 really terrible. Well, and to your point, there was a really interesting documentary that came out in 2016 that unite reunited the dancers. Uh, the six of the seven who are still living, one died of AIDS in the mid-90s, but called Strike a Pose, and it really shows what a shock to the system it was to all of them to be sort of let loose after this fun, galvanizing, important experience, and then all of a sudden they're sort of just like thrust out into the real world, and like Madonna gets to keep her money and keep her fame and move on to her next album cycle and do her thing, and, and so it really shows... Um, how difficult exactly what you're saying was for the people in her orbit as however much fun they might've had at the time and however fondly they look at, back at it today. I think about that every time a movie comes out that is used like non-professional actors yeah, and like, you know, that, that, that non-professional actor suddenly gets some attention and has, and goes on like a press tour. Yeah. I can't help but think all the time, like what is going to happen to this person mm-hmm. when this and especially sometimes if they're like an addict or, you know, they, they've come from some sort of downtrodden place and the movie has thrust them into the spotlight. Like what's going to happen when this is over? Yeah. I mean, Francis McDormand like better sl- take Swanky's calls. That's <laughs> all I have to say. Well, that's that. one thing but I would like, like to know. It's like the Slumdog Millionaire story, with the, right? Um, yes. But with the dancers and Madonna, like, did she take their phone calls after this movie was over, after the tour was over? Well, they sued her, three of well, them, yeah, after right. it was over. Well, because so. this is a thing, too. <laughs> no, she didn't take their calls, in other words. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this is another thing, right? I mean, as much as we're saying, like, wasn't she a little bit evasive with people about what, why she was being filmed? Didn't some of the people claim they didn't really understand it was going to be, like, a theatrically released film with millions of dollars of commercials for it and that kind of thing? Like, she just would tell people it was home movies all the time. Yeah, it was a really convoluted sort of thing that I actually think so I spoke to two of the three people who were involved in the suit the third one is the dancer who's no longer alive 
And both of them have really complicated feelings about the whole thing. One of them was suing for purely contractual reasons. Essentially, he um, had a clause in his contract that said, if there is a film released of this, I get another payment. And apparently she didn't know that was in his contract and he did not receive that payment. So so he sued. Uh, The other one was, uh, or another one was because he didn't, because he was outed in the film. So he sued for invasion of privacy. So there are a couple different reasons behind the lawsuit, none of which made her look very good. But I also think at least among the two who are still living, they agree that um, like the one with the contractual issue says it should have been his agents to sue, not him. And the whole thing got kind of taken out of proportion and turned into this like salacious media gossip when really all he wanted was like this clause in his contract to be honored by the production company. Um, but mm. it's not a great look for somebody as wealthy as she is to be stodgy about uh, the money that's paid to the people in her employ. That are her family that she's a mother to. Right. Guys, I think that's it. I think we've covered Madonna's Truth or Dare. Yeah. Amazing. I think Amazing work, fun. everybody. Matt, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and, and talking about the movie and your piece for Vulture, uh, the oral history of Madonna's Truth or Dare should be up by the time this, is, this comes out, right? That's right. I believe so. Thank you so much for having me. I had a ball. Like Madonna in this movie, I had a ton of fun. <laughs> We'll be right back.